Hello and welcome to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has a chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. And th this episode is go gonna go you off to a rocky start because in the preamble we were like, hey, what was even the hint that we got from last week? We completely forgot. We didn't even try to give a hint. Yeah. Also, I don't think there's been a hint given for like the past three weeks anyways, because... Oh, we've had to change plans so many times. Yeah, like... due to some scheduling stuff and me trying to make us sound semi-competent. <laughs> so, in lieu of that, and the fact that we're heading into Pride Month, and the fact that I still have sword lesbians on my mind, we're going to talk about Julie Daubigny. I, oh wait! I think you did tell me about her. Yeah, maybe. La Maupin. I think I don't think you told me about her as a hint. I think you're just like, hey, here's a fun fact. Yeah, yeah, because we were talking about sort of lesbians. Oh, well, I should say that Julie Daubigny, by today's standards, would be considered either a sword bisexual or sword pansexual. Again, I should state this right off the top. Um, Gender and sexual identification, like the language surrounding how we um, talk about gender and sexuality, changes over time and space. Yeah, and it also depends on like the context of talking about it too. Like, there's something that I've try been trying to put into words as like a witty tweet for the past while that <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> God, I you have no idea how many times my mom's like, Tanner, why are you late for dinner? I'm like, sorry, I had to tweet someone. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm late, but somebody is wrong on the internet. Yeah, I know. I live with the living personification of that situation. Oh. Your dad is fine, but whenever I see a notification from him responding to me, I do get a chill up my spine. <laughs> it's usually fine. It's usually fine. It usually has to do with sports and not anything else. Yeah. Well, what do you mean Tanner doesn't like football? Bitch, I couldn't pick a football out of a police lineup. <laughs> I know, I had to explain to him how you don't believe that football even exists. Football is a scam, like the moon landing and solar eclipses. <laughs> well, anyway, this person was very, very Hang real. On, I I have to I have to take a moment to write down I, I prompt for a story and the story is just football cryptids. <laughs> and I'm going to find this note in a week and have no idea what the context for it is. <laughs> um, True. But no, with the with the language around gender and sexuality and all that, what? There is something where it's like there's times you say gay because you're trying to erase other identities, and there's times where you say day just because it works better in the cadence of your shitpost. Yeah. And usually people can tell which end you're falling on. Yeah. And sometimes you gotta just, like, try and figure out what the fuck they would have identified as because they did not have access to what we've got today. Exactly. Just try talking about the uh, Le Chevalier Deon. And the whole whether or not this person was transgender or um, in drag or, oh god, that person is in a complete mess because of a lot of surrounding situations they were I, in. I feel like even like centuries ago, they wouldn't have even cared about that. It's not a matter of whether you're cis or trans or non-conforming or whatever. It's just like, I like dresses. Yep. Like, I am pretty sure that uh, one English king, Edward II, would have been... They wouldn't have cared that he was fucking gay if he were competent. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't lose a whole shit ton of France, they wouldn't have minded him. Is it his fault? <laughs> Setting the historical precedent for gays who can't drive. <laughs> Well, it also didn't help that he had the looming shadow of his father, Edward I, the hammer of the Scots, over him. The, the only aspect of heteronormativity I'm willing to accept is traffic safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I should also say that um, 
queer uh, behavior and identification was a lot more acceptable. 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 Learn how to pronounce stuff, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> when you have power and money. Yeah, that's yeah. true today. Yeah, you can get away with a lot more shit if you can pay off people to just, like, ignore this. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but that's how the world works. Before we get too deep into um, Too Sword, Too Queer, we should talk about a completely different kind of discourse. Um, oh, yes. Mainly concerning, because we're a podcast about reboots. We, we yes. enjoy the concept of a reboot. But there's been a lot of stuff coming out about reboot culture and how art, the debate about whether art is or is not made for you. And it's all spinning out of the response to Game of Thrones season eight. Was it season eight? Yeah, it's season eight. Now, to be perfectly, like, put all of the cards on the table, at least for myself, I haven't seen season eight. I haven't watched Game of Thrones in a long ass time. I haven't watched since the end of season four. Five and I was really only half. I was really only half watching by the end of that season because whenever Shireen was murdered, yeah, that was the straw yeah. that broke my back. But this isn't about the content of Game of Thrones. It's about the response to Game of Thrones, also the response to Last Jedi and that whole thing where people are starting people... their petitions. Yeah, the fucking petitions. Oh god, the... saying you did it wrong. We're gonna do it better, which is such a silly thing. But at the same time, that's also kind of what we do here. So I yeah, we felt like we should address it. I think this is coming from places of frustration and disappointment with um, a long-running story where you had certain expectations on what was going to happen. And it didn't deliver in a way that you had wanted it. And that's nothing new. For anyone. That's perfectly understandable. I went through that when J.K. Rowling started to go downhill. Exactly. The combination of um, like Pottermore stuff and Once Upon a Time is really why this podcast exists. Yeah. And originally, like the premise was going to be, we're going to fix this show. Yeah. And then we kind of... We, we reorganized it so it could be a little more, we could have a little more leeway with what we talk about. We do have a lot of reboots of properties, but we also do cover adaptations mm -hmm. and reinterpretations. And I'm going to go into another, let's just do a whole cloth biopic or not a biopic. I'm a second TV series. Okay. Probably anime. In fact. Oh, nice. It's very anime. I think the difference between what we try and do and what these petitions are trying to do is that, like, we, we've started saying right at the beginning, this is, like, it's a thought exercise. We're brainstorming fan fiction. Yeah. Whereas the people who are making these petitions are saying, they're, like, they're trying to put the onus back on the creators and saying, you're, you did this wrong. We need to, or you need to try again. It's like, they don't want to put the effort into fixing it themselves. Or they believe that they could come up with a better story than what the creators made, whether or not that's actually true. And like, let compare this to the reaction to Avengers Endgame, for example, which yeah. I'll put my cards on the table. I watched it. I liked it. I was satisfied, but there are still plenty of elements that I feel could have been executed better or yeah. shouldn't have been executed at all. Yeah. But the fan response to that, I haven't seen a single petition saying, Make the Russos do Endgame again, but better. The fan response has been, well, I'm going to write a fix fic about this, or just a normal fanfic, and get my like feelings out about this. And I think part of that does stem from the fact that the problems that people have noticed with Endgame are not the same kind of problems that would be picked up by the people who want to reboot Game of Thrones. Is that making sense? Yeah, and I also think it's a different type of fan, too. Yeah. Would it be a wild theory to guess that there are more women who are fans of superheroes in Marvel than there are women who are fans of Game of Thrones? I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that, again, gender is fake, but it's like, and I'm not going to say that there are, like, men don't like Marvel and women don't like Game of Thrones. Because I've definitely seen, obviously I've seen people do both, like, hell, all in. Like, I think 
part of the reason there has been outcry because of Game of Thrones was because of how Daenerys went down and a lot of yeah. women are calling it out and they should they're right and they yeah. should say it um, further there's some rather weird implications with Bran being you know what spoiler alarm uh, Bran wins I the Game of Thrones anyone, it, people listening to this either already watched Game of Thrones or don't give a shit yeah yeah, so Bran wins the Game of Thrones, and I think that was preset by George R. R. Martin himself, because I think... it was one of those like, in case I die before this finishes, here's the ending I have planned out. The sense I'm getting is that they ended in the same place, but the way they got there is completely different. That's where it feels so wrong, because like the books are wildly different. Uh, when George 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 Morge gets there, it's gonna make more sense. Yeah, and. Also, it's not guaranteed, like, he may have changed his mind about the ending. You never know. But I think the point we're trying to get to is that we're we're doing this as a thought exercise, and it's like one part fix-fic and one part, here's what I could have done if I was given the chance. Yeah, or, you know, here's this uh, property that didn't get a lot of love and attention, and maybe if you do it like X, it might get more notice. Yeah, like, that's the big thing. And also, like, I just, I like reboots in general, even in the real world. I know that there's a serious issue where we're telling more rebooted stories than original stories. But if you do a reboot right, you're able to tell an original story more so than just rehashing it. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's why I don't like shot-for-shot remakes where it's like, why even bother? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's certain things where I don't think we would ever want to reboot them because they're already so good that any changes we could make would be negligible. Yeah. In fact, might be detrimental. Mm-hmm. And I, my one thought about like the difference between the uh, Avengers Endgame fanfic writers and the Game of Thrones slash Star Wars petitioners is maybe the difference in fan culture between... Uh, again, gender is a uh, is a scam, but men and women. It seems that women and girls tend to gravitate more towards fanfic, and there's a lot of platforms out there already. Like, well, actually, let's let, let's expand that line. Uh, like, women and queer people. Yeah, women and queer people tend to gravitate more towards fanfic. There's pre-established communities. There's an entire jargon. That yeah. uh, fanfic writers use. Fanfic exists because of dissatisfaction with the quote-unquote canon. Yeah, or just like, it isn't even dissatisfaction. It could just be like, hey, I got an idea that could fit into the canon, but they might not ever do that, so here's my version. Whereas, for whatever reason, people who identify as male do write fan fiction but i feel like it's not as ingrained in traditionally masculine nerd culture as writing fan fiction is for traditionally female and queer uh fan uh fandom yeah maybe it's because like all of the like extra stuff got marketed towards boys because i also see this as a bit of a generational thing too yeah uh there's now i feel like we we need a <laughs> We might oh, have to do a separate episode about this problem. We might have to do a whole episode about fan fiction. Yeah. Um. Okay. So mark that down. Maybe for like the bonus episode. A bonus. Yeah. Episode. I feel like hell. I feel like we already have that in our idea bonus episode ideas. But if not, I'll definitely yeah. put it in there. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, who is this person? All right. Uh, Julie Dobini. She was born... How do you spell that? Oh, never mind. It all, it all completed. Yeah. Okay, so Julie Dobigny, born sometime between 1670 and 1673, uh, died in 1707, better known as Mademoiselle uh, Maupin or La Maupin, was a 17th century swordswoman and opera singer. Her tumultuous career and flamboyant life are the subject of gossip and colorful stories in her own lifetime and inspired numerous portrayals afterwards, such as uh, Théophile Gautier's loosely based on her real-life um, novel Mademoiselle de Maupin, which was uh, written in 1835. Anyway, La Maupin. Uh, she was born, yeah, as I said, sometime between seven. 
The unpaid nun internship? Yeah, this is like an internship. They're not exactly going to hire you, but, you know, you got to try it out first. Um, so, in order to run away with her girlfriend, uh, Lemel Penn stole the body of a dead nun. Who <laughs> was just lying around. Yeah. <laughs> Placed it in the bed of girlfriend, and then set the room on fire to cover their escape. Their affair lasted for three more months before the young woman were returned to their were, before the young lady was returned to her family. Lamopan was charged in absentia and as a man with kidnapping, body snatching, arson, and failing to appear before the tribunal. Her sentence was death by fire. Hang on. <laughs> um in all of these shenanigans, did anyone realize that this was a chick? I think they did, but for whatever reason, the French law was like, well, we have to charge her as a man or something. Women can't hold swords. Must be a dude. <laughs> Unless it was some confusion about her gender? I don't know. She's using, like, the uh, definitive feminine case, uh, the la, uh, L-A, because, oh yeah, French has genders. Like, masculine, feminine. And unlike German, it doesn't have an other category. I feel like there are plenty of French men, though, who use feminine a conjugation just for the drama. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Would be even more fun in German because they got das. Daddy das. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I took both French and German. In da dee, da die. Yeah. So, der is masculine. D is feminine. Das is, I guess gender neutral but it's also used when you're trying to borrow a word from a different language into German that's why we've got das Auto so German not only has no genders but no German has genders but they've declared that they're the only language with genders yeah we are the language I'm so just, anyway lemo sorry um the who's does the young woman ever get a name? I don't think she's ever named, but at the same time, this is like like it's sixteen hundred. What should we name her? I need a, I need a name for her names. before I need a name. Okay, um, Marie is way too common. How about we call her like Madeline? Okay, so I'm just trying to picture Madeline's parents. They're like, I can't believe you're having an affair with this young man, and she's like, Yeah, a young guy. That that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> and then like all this stuff happens and the parents are beside themselves because of this man who keeps on like spurring their daughter on to go on these adventures and then they find out like oh my gosh and this man dressed as a woman to sneak into a convent how scandalous and they're just like yeah that's the scandal <laughs> you guys are idiots look the uh, French education system did not improve until Napoleon came along so yeah and I don't think it's improved since either. <laughs> yeah, the Bacurate system is kind of a weird one. So anyway, um, Lamopen then, you know, left France. Uh, no, she didn't leave France. She left Paris. She needed to get the fuck out of Dodge. So she goes to uh, Poitiers and starts earning a living as a singer. And she met an older actor named uh, Marichal who began to teach her until his alcoholism got bad and uh he sent her back to paris and in uh, uh v Pardou, uh while still wearing men's clothing she was insulted by a young nobleman and they fought in a duel and she drove her blade through his shoulder the next day she asked about his health and found out that uh, he was uh, louis joseph de loyan the son of the duke of loyan uh, later, one of his companions came to offer Delbert's apologies, and she went to his room, and subsequently, they fell in, well, not fell in love, but they boned. They yeah, fell and, in horny. Yeah, they were all young and horny, and he was healing, and uh, they were still friends after that. So, after uh, Count Delbert recovered and had to return to his military unit, La Pen continued on to Rouen in northern France. Where she met Gabrielle Vincent Tevenard, another singer, and began a new affair with him. And they continued together towards Paris in the hopes of joining the Paris Opera. She and... is leaving trails of broken hearts across the entire country. Oh, yeah. In the Marais, she contacted uh, Count Daramac 
to help against uh, the sentence hanging over her, and he persuaded the king to grant her a pardon and allow her to sing in the opera, because court connections is always great. This this suddenly turned into an episode of the Glee. <laughs> so anyway, I guarantee if Glee had gone on long enough, someone would have avoided criminal charges because they could sing good. Yeah. So uh, she got hired by the Paris Opera in 1690, having initially refused her, and she befriended an elderly singer called uh, Bouvard, and he and Tevenard convinced Jean-Nicolas de Francine, the master of the king's household. So this is like the guy in charge of like organizing his servants and where things the were and all that sort of stuff. To the butler. Exce- yeah, he's the butler. He is like the chief butler. Um, you don't fuck with De Francine. He can make or break you. <laughs> so anyway, he can he gets convinced to accept her into the company because he's also in charge of the Paris Opera. Uh, she debuted as Pallas Athena in Cadmus or Cadmu a Hermione by Jean-Baptiste Lully the same year, which is a big deal because Lully was one of the, like the stars of Baroque music at the time. Also, Pallas Athena, like the original sword lesbian. Yes. Yo, there's actually, here. here's my, my turn to go on a history tangent. Okay. Oh, how the turntables. Woo! Um, there's some stuff about how Athena may have been like gender, like non-binary or gender non-conforming or something because there's a lot of her tales where she tells the other gods like treat me as a man yeah and like refer to me as a man mm. and stuff like that and it could like it definitely could just be because of the binary treatment of men and women in ancient greek society which wasn't terrible but also was not great yeah especially when contemporary societies like egypt were you know pretty chill with women so yeah yeah but it's like Sparta, maybe, but Athens definitely would not have ha- allowed women to be the warriors that Athena was. Yeah. And so Athena's like, well, I'm a man, so that's how I'm a warrior. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Julie here got an opera, got into an opera written by Luli, which is big news. So she performed regularly with the opera, first singing as a soprano and later in her more natural contralto range, uh, the Marquis de Dangu wrote in his journal of the performance uh, by La Maupin given at um, the Trianon of uh, Détouches, of Détouches uh, Omphale in 1701, that hers was the most beautiful voice in the world. So, yeah. We're gonna have to find a voice actress who can sing. Opera. Yes. And has that range, too. Get that too. chick who did the, um, the Fifth Element cover. Ooh, yeah. You, you know the cover of that song that was explicitly designed that a human couldn't sing it? <laughs> yeah. And this one, was she Chinese? Yeah, Chinese. Cool. So anyway, Julie performed mostly in Paris. Uh, she also did some stuff in Brussels where she performed under the name of Mademoiselle de Maupin because singers were addressed as Mademoiselle whether or not they were married. Again, it's weird. Also, French is weird about like which titles you use they're a bit more strict about like the language is a bit more strict about it than in english i gathered that considering most of the people you've named have had like 18 foot names and 17 (laughs) feet of those are titles yeah well also that's like ancien regime can't wait for us to grab those and ham-fistedly try to force them into katakana yeah that's gonna be interesting um, so apparently Vinland Saga is getting an anime adaptation that's debuting in the summer season, and I just cannot wait to hear how a Japanese seiyuu handles Norse names. Old Norse names. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's finally happening! <laughs> Vikings is coming to an end, I need more Vikings in my life. I might talk to Christina about Vikings and the whole like religious aspect about that if she ever has guests on. I want to go on there and talk about Doctor Who or Glee. Okay. Um, the episode where Finn briefly finds religion because he makes a grilled cheese sandwich and then it looks like Jesus on the grill marks <laughs> and so he calls it grilled cheeses. <laughs> and, then, so... and then when it turns out grilled cheeses can't cure his stepdad's stroke, he has an entire musical number set to Losing My Religion. Oh my god, you only had religion for five minutes. 
So, yeah, anyway, the point I was going to make about, like, French titles and all that, like, you know, the titles like Mr., Miss, Mrs., that sort of stuff, in English that's generally assumed. And in French, if you are a woman clearly over 16, you are universally referred to as Madame. Okay. Which is the French equivalent of Mrs. And a similar thing happens in German, too, where as soon as you, like, are clearly... If not an adult, almost an adult, you get referred to as Frau. Okay. Yeah, no Fräulein. Fräulein is only for girls. Frau Blucher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's probably going to sound just... like a dolphin on the playback. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of a thing in English where it's like, if like a young lady is Miss, and then you refer to like Mrs. and then Ma'am. Yeah, like, what I tend to do is I, from what I understand, MS, Miss, is, like, the universal, I don't know what your uh, marriage status is, so I'm just going to call you that. Yeah, that's what I do. See, they, for the, apparently for the longest time, people would default to ma'am as yeah. just, like, the, I'm pretty sure you're a woman Yeah, kind of thing. Like, um... But, like, at some point, that got associated with being elderly. And, like, yeah. that's why we have the whole mam shock trope. So that's why early on when I started working in the service industry, I decided, okay, I'm just going to refer to all women as Miss. Because I, I've never heard of someone getting mad being referred to as Miss. Yeah. And so that works out great for me. Because almost no one reacts. But when they do react, they're just like, oh, my gosh, you're calling me Miss? Oh, you're so nice. This is the best grocery store ever <laughs> and i'm like wow you you liked it a lot more than i expected but i'm glad you enjoyed it <laughs> have a nice day <laughs> don't forget your start your scratch off tickets <laughs> actually i'm pretty sure there was one time where the lady was so impressed that i said miss that she walked out without her groceries <laughs> And so then I have to chase her out like, Miss, Miss, no, I'm not trying to compliment you. I'm trying to give you all the stuff you just spent a hundred bucks on. <sighs> oh, man. Oh, man. So. Uh, and then there, I think there was another point where like, as much as I, either she was like completely in her own dimension, which I've been there, or she just was not expecting Miss, but I chased her out. Like she was almost out the door and eventually I just had to be like, lady, <laughs> please take your milk. You bought it! It's yours! Yeah, the whole missing, it's strange, because for a time I used to be called ma'am for various reasons, and don't get me started on the whole pop culture U.S. military thing, where apparently female officers insist on being called sir, and that's, like, not proper, because you're a ma'am. I feel like that pops up more in, like, police procedurals than military things. Yeah, and, and honestly, it... it when I hear it from like a military perspective, it's mostly in sci-fi, but yeah, it just irks me. Well, because th that's you know, okay then, because it's space titles. Yeah. Still, it's just weird because you're treating Sir like it's the gender-neutral one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just so doesn't sound right. It's it's kind of like how people are saying that actor is now a gender-neutral term. Yeah. Where's I don't like, know. It just sounds weird. Make an actual gender-neutral. Actor, or, actress, variant. Yeah. Actrex with an X. Yeah. Like MX, which I have no idea how MX is pronounced. Do you know how MX is pronounced? I don't know. Mixter? <sighs> anyway. Mixums? Maximum. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, due you may to address me as Maximum Vogelsang. Demo Pan's beautiful voice. Yes, I'm trying to steer this back to the fucking biography so that we can go into eventually how I'm going to turn her life into a swashbuckling a uh, bisexual swordswoman anime. Okay. Um. So, because of Mademoiselle de Maupin's beautiful voice, her acting skills, and her androgynous attire, she became quite popular with the audience. Although her relationship with her fellow actors and actresses was sometimes tempestuous, because um, she she had a temper on her, and she flirted with basically everybody. So she famously beat the singer Louis. Julie, stop being horny. Challenge. Yeah, uh, she beat the singer Louis Goulard Dumasny. God, it okay. The ending of his name of his last name is S N Y, 
E-S-M-Y, and it just throws me through a fucking loop. Um, Louis Gallard... Dumas Knee. Dumas Knee. Okay, there. So anyway, she beat this dude after he pestered the woman, the female members of the troop, and let's see, in a legendary duel of what she had a legendary duel of wits with uh, Thevenard, or Thevenard, um, was the talk of Paris. Um, she also fell in love with Franchon Maul who was another singer and the mistress to uh, Louis Le Grand Dauphin. So uh, this Louis was the only surviving child of Louis XIV with his wife, Marie-Thérèse of Spain. He never became king. He predeceased his father, but he lived long enough to have three sons of his own, all named Louis, because the fucking Bourbon are the worst when it comes to naming their children. Too many Louis. Yeah, way too many Louis. Is Louis Louis about, like, the French aristocracy? <laughs> um, yeah, also because, like, the French aristocracy that's still around tend to go with more old-fashioned names. It's either going to be Louis, or it's going to be something starting with Jean, and then we're just going to yeah. reach the natural conclusion of Jean-Louis. Yeah, so Louis was never king. His eldest son was never king. He was called uh, Le Petit Dauphin. Um... But his second son, Philippe, became became king of Spain, and his descendants still rule Spain. Once I was the king of Spain. Yay. Good on you, younger Philippe. <laughs> yeah, and at least they um they improved in looks. The Bourbon were kind of meh. They're okay looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get judgy about royal families and their looks, so yeah. When did this turn into historical hot or not? <laughs> Look, uh, historians have to be vain sometimes. Like, I really want to have a serious fuck, Mary kill discussion about various historical figures. I, I've, I've prepared a list of European nobility, and you're going to tell me whether you'll smash or pass. <laughs> <laughs> I've even figured out various Soviet generals from World War II who I would either smash or pass. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, I am a basic bitch and go with Zhukov. I don't know him. (laughs) Two weeks from now. Conqueror Berlin. Two weeks from now, you can pitch to me the uh, Soviet general dating sim. <laughs> that flash of inspiration that went through your mind just now was priceless. Part of that is just to infuriate my father. So anyway, um, apparently La Maupin was so distraught about, you know, Fashion Moreau being unavailable for her because she's fucking the heir to the French throne that uh, poor Maupin attempted suicide when she was rejected. But she got better. So in 1695, uh, Dobigny had to skip town again because she uh, kissed a young woman at a society ball and was challenged to duels by three different noblemen. <laughs> and she kicked <laughs> she kicked all of their asses too. Honestly, goals. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. Louis XIV had banned duels in France, so now she's got to fucking skip town. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, I... <laughs> I like, know on the one hand, she's under goal. the protection of the Duc d'Orléans, but on the other hand, you kind of ran afoul of one of the most powerful kings in Europe at the time. Okay, I know a few episodes ago we talked about how history is probably interesting on its own, we don't have to change it. But just imagine if, in order to complete these duels, they had to go on a road trip to outside of the country, to a place where they could duel each other. Yeah. And, and along the way, they all fall in love with her. Yeah. Uh, so and then it just turns it, into brave. So, anyway, Julie ends up in Brussels uh, to, wait for, to wait for things to calm down. 
and there she met Maximilian Emmanuel II, or Maximilian II Emmanuel, Elector of Bavaria. Um, he was a duke, he was a member of the Wittelbach family of Bavaria, and Prince Elector of the Holy Roman Empire. He was also the, the last governor of Spanish Netherlands and Duke of Luxembourg. He was an able soldier, and his ambition led to conflicts that limited his ultimate dynastic achievements. Yeah. I think the goal was to become Holy Roman Emperor himself. Oh, that was his goal. I thought that was going to be her yeah. goal. I would like to see Julia as Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> it's the it's the conclusion of the trilogy. You loved young Pope. You loved new Pope. Now get ready for Sword Pope. <laughs> so yeah, she was the mistress to the Elector of Bavaria for a short time, and then. While in Brussels, uh, she appeared at the Opera de Caufon uh, uh, from November 1697 to July 1698, and then she later returned to Paris uh, to replace the retiring Marie La Rochois. And there, and uh, she and her friend Delbert were uh, both in trouble with the law for over the over the years. Um, he for yet another fatal duel, and she for beating up her landlord. <laughs> Good. So, until 1705, uh, Maupin sang new opera roles, or, or sang in new operas by Pascal Collas, André Cardinal uh, de Touche, and André Campra. In 1702, André Campra compo- composed the role of Clorinde in Tancred, specifically for her uh, Badus or a contralto range. Uh, she sang for the court at Versailles on n- on a number of occasions, and again performed in many of the opera's major productions. She appeared for the last time in *La Venetienne* by Michel de la Barre in 1705. I, hang on, I'm on the same Wikipedia. I'm on the same Wikipedia page as you. Yeah, I want to try my hand as this, at this name coming up. Okay. These final years of her career were spent in a relationship with Marie-Louise Thérèse de Sénateur-la-Marquis de Françon. Okay, let me try. Uh, Marie-Louise Thérèse de Sénateur-la-Marquis de, Flores- de Florensac. Audience, you be the judge. <laughs> Vote now on your phones. <laughs> oh, I remember those days of American Idol. Oh, she uh, would kill it. She would totally kill an American Idol. Yes. Um, And somehow still have a career afterwards. Yeah. Upon her death, La Maupin was inconsolable. She retired from the opera in 1705, took refuge in a convent, uh, where she is believed to have died in 1707 at the age of 33. She has no known grave, probably because she faked her death with another dead nun body, and here she is now! (laughs) She's an immortal! She got involved with the Highlander. There can only be one. <laughs> this is actually a stealth pilot for a new Highlander TV series. <laughs> yeah, forget Colin McLeod. It's all about Julie Daubigny. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so anyway, this is perfect anime material. Yes, it is. We just need to find a Siryu who can sing opera. Well, not necessarily. We could okay. go one for the voice and one for the song. Like that yeah. old 90s thing where it's like, hello, I'm the voice actor, and I'm the singing actor. <laughs> okay, yeah, we could totally do that. There's plenty of Japanese opera singers out there. Like, you could go over to the Takarazura Review and be like, hey, who's got a contralto? And basically... I I want this to be has, as historically authentic as possible. Maybe not historically accurate. Because I want her to go on adventures. I want her... This would only be like a couple seasons at most. Two, three, four. And that we'll see like in her a lot youth. of seasons. I feel like we could get a lot of it into just 26 episodes. Okay, yeah, maybe. 
because I was just thinking like this would be the fun adventures of Julie Dauvigny, where she is fighting in duels for the love of both men and women all over France and singing. And maybe getting involved in like some spy stuff because France is at war with the Habsburgs over the Netherlands. Oh god, the <sighs> the Habsburgs are the worst when it comes to European <laughs> history. Not because of behavior, but because how confusing their fucking like what they own <laughs> is. <laughs> it's like trying. Okay, if you're like a modern historian trying to figure out like what some of these massive corporations own. Just take that, transport that back in time to the 1600s and trying to figure out what the fucking Habsburgs own. <sighs> yeah. I have, um... There's a reason why I eliminated the Habsburgs very early on in my uh, alternate history timeline. <laughs> and, like, they tried to destroy themselves every- not Not to see what happens. But because they're annoying, and you know what? They try to, like, off their family anyway, simply because, like, nobody fucking has kids. <laughs> the amount of times, the amount of times that family has nearly, like, ran out of heirs is amazing. And somehow they are here today in the 21st century. Still claiming the throne of Austria. And Hungary. And a chin. <laughs> oh yeah, they got a terrible, terrible underbite. Well, actually, I, they fixed that one. Thank I, God. I, I, was, I, go I typed in Habsburg to see if I could find a map of their empire, and the first result was, Oh, you mean the chin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, What's it is a do? horrific underbite on the level of, like, some bulldogs and pugs. Oh, honey. Yeah. Haxburgs, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, just, um, if you want a good reason why I fucking just find them so annoying, um, look up the family tree of Charles II of Spain. It is disturbing. Charles II Habsburg. Okay. What up? Oh. Oh, that is a bad chin. <laughs> yeah, so that was trying to prettyfy him. And even the artists had issues. Um, ancestry. Oh, let's open up this table. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> There's some loop-de-loops in here. Yeah! <laughs> What's the dotted line indicate? Is that... Okay, so that's marriage. Yeah. But that's definitely... There's like seven different cousin marriages in this. Yeah, and that's, there's also, like, cousin marriages that are also uncle-niece marriages. It's yeah, just it's... a circle, it expands outward, and then it just doubles back in on itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all because the Habsburgs try to keep, like, this massive empire together of, on the one side of France, all of their German and Eastern European territories, and on the other side of France, Spain, and then Spain's colonial empire... Charles II of Spain, also known as El Hechizado, or The Bewitched! <laughs> <laughs> it's he not is now best remembered for his physical disabilities, best believe, believed to be the result of inbreeding! <laughs> Can we please go back to the sword lady? Basically, super fantastical, super aesthetic. Like, I was thinking, uh, who did Kill a Kill? Um... That was a leap I wasn't expecting. <laughs> well, I like their style. And they're fucking ballsy. Actually, yeah, if Julie was around today, and she is, she would probably like Kill the Kill. Yeah. Trigger! Studio Trigger. Uh, let's see. Someone wrote a book about her. Let's see. Theophile Gautier, when asked to write a story about Daubigny, instead produced the novel Mademoiselle de Maupin, published in 1835, uh, took aspects from the real lady as starting point naming some characters after her and her acquaintances uh the central character's life was viewed through romantic les as all for love da, da, da. a performance of shakespeare's as you like it in which lapon dresses theodore plays the part of rosalind playing ganymede mirrors the cross-dressing pretense of the heroine um 
A celebration of sensual love regardless of gender was radical, and the book was banned from the new- by the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, America, in your puritanical ways. <laughs> the Society for the Suppression of Vice is gonna be the next evil organization in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Or a Power Rangers villainous organization. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Julie Dominey is a Power Ranger, and the yes! Society for the Suppression of Vice shows up in their spaceship behind the moon. <laughs> what color would she be? Hmm. Because I don't think she's much of a leader. She's too much of a Lancer figure. Of so there's no Power Ranger. She's a common Rider. Yeah, she's a common Rider. Damn, common Rider Dominey has a real nice ring to it. Yes. Oh my god. Okay. So what if there's a common rider with a female common rider? Yes, good. And her powers is that she just manifests herself as Julie Dobini, but she's like already like a a Japanese sukeban type uh regularly. I love this. <laughs> okay, scrap the anime. We're doing a common rider. So there was actually common rider ghost that yeah. show's whole shtick was that the different modes were the ghosts of historical figures. Ooh. And I think, all in all, there was only one female ghost that was ever used. And okay. it was like a Japanese priestess, if I remember correctly. I haven't okay. watched Ghost yet. I just know it exists. Yeah. Um, and they've got sweet jackets. Cool. But I could definitely see this as like a spin-off movie. Okay. We're like, yeah, this the Sukaban girl, she shows up and then she gets like the 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 spirit of Julie Dominey needs it to power up. <laughs> okay, then what would her other forms be? Because I was thinking like immediately like um Cleopatra? Well, I don't know how clear Cleopatra was, but she was actually pretty cool. But what how queer was she? Yeah, that's the thing because of the whole Julius Caesar and Mark Antony thing. Oh, Sappho. Yes, Sappho. Um, and Bonnie and or Mary Reed, because they were way more into each other than they were into Jack Rackham. Oh, pirates. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, common writer Julie Dobiny versus anime Julie Dobiny. Where I was thinking, like, remember back in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, there was kind of, like, this whole thing... With having like the sh- the swashbuckling adventures uh, TV series. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, like I was thinking something along that lines, but still anime because like this just screams having like really flowy shojo style, but high action. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. I. I mean, I think it goes without saying that the aesthetic of the anime Julie Domini yeah. would be very similar to Utena. Utena doesn't quite swash, swash, buckle, buckle. <laughs> swash, swash, bubble, buckle, buckle. What? I I don't I don't know where I heard that from. It's just whenever. Yeah. Someone's like swashbuckling. I'm like, ah, yes, swash, swash, buckle, buckle. <laughs> Basically, three musketeers. Yes. Yeah. I think we've kind of. Yeah. Basically, this should be an anime, but isn't, and I don't know why. She des- she deserves to be an, an anime, and then yeah. later on a common writer. Yeah, and somehow breaks out of the isekai-dominated seasonal anime to become yeah. a thing. Yeah. Mark my words, we'll we'll get to an isekai thing at some point. Yeah. Because we gotta we we've been talking about it. In, enough and we could probably bring ryan on board because he's the big anti-sao guy anyway mm-hmm. with good reason yes <laughs> <laughs> so oh looks like i got uh three duels coming up gotta go deal with that okay while, while you go duel some guys uh i'll have a friendship promo Welcome to Interstitial, a Kingdom Hearts-inspired actual play podcast. Playing a game called Interstitial. Our hearts intertwined. I'm Riley, and I'll be GMing this disaster. Names. What are your names? I didn't even ask. What are your names? Uh, I'm Edith. Hi. I'm Roxanne. And I'm Marsh. 
I descend in the Bugatti and say, I am the mind freak. <laughs> There's our dad. <laughs> our dad's back. Sounds like you want to force a change of location for Mr. America. I do, but I did read the first option is take something from them. So I am going to take Captain yep. America's shield. <laughs> yep. If, you're, if your question is ever, can I do some bullshit? My answer is always, <laughs> All right, I know who this is. His name is Squall. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey there, Squall. He flinches. <laughs> but it has a nobody symbol across its chest. This is like, the worst thing you've ever done. Oh, no. This is the worst thing you've ever done. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think you're giving Chris Angel enough credit. He's a good guy. He's doing his best. Is that a sentence you ever thought you would say? So I definitely already know Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh, yeah. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Tanner. How'd the duel go? Oh, they learned their lesson. Nice. And uh, along the way, were you able to find any uh, single fencers in your area? Oh, I've been busy. <laughs> okay, you're valid. Yeah. Um, in case there's any single duelist in our area looking to meet with Lindsay, how can you be reached on the internet? I'm at Lindsay M four seven six. That's Lindsay spelled with what? Spelled with an A. La 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 la. you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sparky Upstart and on Instagram at Sparky Young Upstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and that is pronounced uh, Le Podcast de Reboot, Not If I Reboot You First. <laughs> I took and one French class. <laughs> and you can find this very uh, podcast on Instagram at Not If I Reboot You First. The hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F, and it is pronounced... Uh, Lenyarf. <laughs> that one was better than mine. <laughs> yeah. You can also reach us via email at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com. You can send us your comments, your critiques, your criticisms, suggestions for future reboots. If you'd like to be a guest, you can contact us through there too. And uh, also send us your favorite historical um, rambunctious queer woman. I feel like rambunctious is a bad term, <laughs> but that was the best I could think of off the cuff. Radical, that's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Um, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where for the low, low price of $1 a month, you can get a weekly shout-out like our good friend Charlie, and I'm pretty sure that's it. Is it still Charlie who's being our best around? I... Hell I yeah! The OG. Yay! Thanks, Charlie. Hi. Um, and if you feel like going up to $5 a month, you can get some bonus content, such as uh, bonus episodes, which I'm working on editing it right now. Uh, you can get episodes a little bit early. You can also vote in our <laughs> monthly poll, which is I've, I've left up. I'm going to leave it up a little bit longer than I had planned because I got it up way late. <laughs> so right now there's only one vote on it. But if you get that $5 position, you can create like a, a deadlock. We'll have to have a stalemate between the two people's choice picks for our June episode. Fight to the death! Yes, exactly. <laughs> Have a duel, but not in Paris. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the rule. Just have a duel anywhere other than Paris. <laughs> Lindsay, would you like a hint for next week? Sure. Then repeat after me. Whoa, okay. everything about you is so terrible. Whoa, everything about you is so terrible? Oh, everything about you makes me want to die. Whoa, everything about you makes me want to die? But Lindsay, soon you'll see that if you listen to me, listen to me, then everything about you is going to be wonderful. We love everything about you. Everything about you is going to be so alive. 
We could never live without you. You won't be left out or unsure. You won't be ugly anymore because everything about you is going to be cool and powerful and popular. Incredible. You will be more chill. <laughs> and we'll see you all next week, but not if we reboot you first. <laughs>